You are listening to the podcast of King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. My name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. I am here with my two good friends this time, uh, Josh Romine, who's also one of our pastors, and Megan Parton, who is our discipleship coordinator. We are working our way through the Bible this year in a year-long sermon series that we're calling The Story, and we decided to do one of these Q&A podcasts at the end of each chapter, not each chapter of the Bible, but we've divided the sermon series up into 10 different chapters over the course of the year, um, kind of trying to understand the story in the in the larger movements of the Bible. And so chapter one was beginnings. We did a Q&A podcast on that. You can go back and listen to on the feed. And then chapter two, we called covenant. And we explored the way that God made a covenant with his people through the lives of uh, five different Men in the scriptures, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It covered Genesis 6 through 50. And if you're someone who's wondering, uh, maybe you're following along with this series and you're wondering how in the world we're going to get through the Bible in a year when it is uh, March and we're just now getting to Exodus, uh, we will pick up the pace here soon. But uh, laying the foundation it's takes a long the most time, time to get out of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> right, Genesis is good stuff. Yeah, it took the Israelites 400 years. We can take a few months. But um, So we've got some questions uh, that we are going to talk about today and we'll kind of ping them around. Um, Josh, I'm going to start with one for you, um, but it's ask, uh, we didn't spend very much time in the sermon series talking about chapters four and five, and so uh, does that mean we really don't think those are very important or uh, don't have much significance? Because in chapter one, beginnings, we went through Genesis one, two, and three pretty pretty slowly. So um, what say you about Genesis four and five? And really, the reason I start with that is it's uh, it's actually going to answer the reason why we're not going to hit every chapter in the Bible for the rest of the series, too. So, well, I was. Um, I'm. I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to talk about Genesis four and five because I was actually pretty sad or frustrated <laughs> that you wouldn't even let me put chapters four and five in the devotional plan. I'm like, are we mm-hmm. not going to read through mm-hmm. the whole book of Genesis? But I really feel like the chapters four and five do a great job of setting us up for what's going to happen in chapter six, mm-hmm. and so have the um, creation of man and woman, and they start having kids. And so they have Cain and Abel. And Genesis 4 is very famous or infamous for the first murder that's recorded in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And we see Cain uh, murdering his brother Abel. And it actually shows us the importance of caring for one another and that we are relational people made in the image of a relational God. And so you see the first taking of life, and you see that Cain asking the uh, sarcastic question to God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, and the story throughout the whole Bible, is that we are our brother's keeper, mm-hmm. that we are relational people that care for one another. And you, so you see that um, there's a murder that happens when the opposite should be true, is that we should be caring and taking care of one another. Right. So Adam and Eve, they have another son, and that is Seth. And we see that and that's such a beautiful Um, ending to chapter 4, for it says that in that day, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that God is uh, resetting a culture that has strayed from him Mm. through the line of Seth. And then you get into Genesis chapter 5, which a lot of people want to skip over when they see genealogies in the Bible, because it's like, not really sure why that's there, and I definitely don't know why that applies to my life. That's right, We see in Genesis 5 that Seth 
the very beginning of the chapter leads to Noah, who is the end of the chapter. Right. And so Noah comes from the line of Seth, and Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I'm not quite 100% sure when we get to Genesis chapter 6 and we see that evil continues. People are uh, doing evil all the time mm-hmm. according to the evil in their hearts. But I think a lot of those folks are probably coming from the line of Cain. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that none of them are not coming from the line of Seth. But we Mm -hmm. do see that the line of Christ is preserved through Seth that results in Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And you had Enoch in that line as well, who is someone that walked with God and then he wasn't. That's exactly so, right. Which is yeah. another whole interesting <laughs> that, is, that is. All right, you're gonna mean? you're gonna take no, care of that question in a minute. Question. Glad you brought that up. <laughs> so I'm if you bring kidding. up with bring up a problem, you gotta have the answer. <laughs> I know, I know. Right. I just I mean the scripture says then there he was not because God took him. So there's the answer. But I want I want to just share this, and yeah, I, so I, so let me just kind of end with this. When we think about genealogies and genealogies in the Bible, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I don't pretend to know Greek. I only I'm a Hebrew. I only read people who do. And so if you look at the definition, the meanings of the names that are listed in Genesis chapter 5. So let me just give you some of that chapter, yeah, just right. a little. Can you say it in Hebrew? Uh, no, I can barely <laughs> say it in English. I just, I just Y'all know me well. Really I can barely say it in English. People, you know? All right. So <laughs> Genesis 5 verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son and he named him Seth. In verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And when Enosh, this is verse 9, had lived 90 years, he became the father of Canaan. Canaan became the father of Malael. Malael became the father of Jared. Um, and then you continue on. He Jared, was the guy with the diamonds, Enoch, right? What's that? Jared was the guy with the diamonds, you said. Never mind, it's just a joke. Keep going. Wow. Okay, all right. It's been a minute since Josh has bought some fine jewelry. Oh, Jared, the jewelry. Oh, it has been, yeah. He's more of a K guy. Yeah, well. <laughs> Just on a, I'm just on a pastor's salary. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you get all these names in here. You get Methuselah, who he's famous for being the oldest recorded guy in the Bible, Lamech, and then you end up with Noah. If you take the meanings of each one of those names okay. and you put it in a sentence and you add an A or a the or whatever, so these are the meanings. So Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enos means mortal man or sick, Canaan means purchaser, Malayal means God shines forth, Jared means coming down. Enoch means dedicated. Mm. Methuselah, he has sent his death. Lamech means poor or made low. And Noah means rest and comfort. So if you add an A wow. or a D or you know, make a sentence out of it, or two sentences, here's what you get. Man was appointed mortality, which he purchased. God shined forth and came down, dedicating his death to send to the poor and lowly rest and comfort. That so is my, amazing. So my friends, even in Genesis 5, don't skip over the genealogies. Go, go to your Hebrew God's or your Greek and see what God may be saying, because I think here's a glimpse of what God's going to do throughout the rest of the Bible, particularly through Jesus Christ. I feel like we could With end right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Gosh. Yeah, that's great. All right, so Chip, when I, I ask you, when I ask you to put you didn't ask me certain chapters in the devotional... <laughs> Anyway, oh, thanks for so letting me say it on the podcast. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. All right. All right. So I got a question for you, Chip. Um, so in Genesis 6, so I said 4 and 5 are a setup for Genesis chapter 6. Let me just read a few verses and okay. I'll ask you a question. So when man began to multiply on the face of the land, 
and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, did I say that right? I'd say Nephilim. But Nephilim, enough, okay. Yeah. Were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. There were the mighty men of old who were of old the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what in the world is that all about? <laughs> mm-hmm. We have sons of gods, daughters of men, and then we have the giants. Yeah, the Nephilim and the, the Nephilim. mighty men. So in a larger, the larger um, point is Genesis 6, uh, 1 to 8 is setting up the flood. So that's it, it, it is backstory. You've come out of Genesis 5 where you have the genealogy, which, which you just talked about. Um, Genesis 6, 9 and after is going to be Noah and the flood. And so th- there's effectively a preamble with Genesis 6, 1 through 8 that is setting up the circumstances that lead to the flood. So just a couple of um, interesting things if you kind of nerd out on Bible stuff the way that I do sometimes. I do think that there's an echo here of when God formed Adam, if you look right at the end of chapter 5, um, it says of um, Noah, in verse 29, they called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. The ground is cursed in Genesis 3, and you'll remember that Adam was formed out of the ground. And what you have in chapter 5 is basically a genealogical narrative of the men who are in the line of Seth. Well, then you get to the beginning of chapter 6. It's focused on the daughters. You have the daughters of men. You have wives being chosen. Um, you have women giving birth to men. And so um, the, the rest of humanity is coming in. And in verse 1, it says they are multiplying on the face of the land, on the face of the ground. And so um, in part, what God said was the purpose of human beings, to multiply and fill the earth. That is being fulfilled. Both men and women are, are doing, at least in part, what God set them up to do. However, we're about to see because of the flood, they aren't doing it the way he wanted them to because sin is abounding and he's about to judge mm-hmm. the world. So um, it's that preamble is the point. Now, the details are the fun part, right? <laughs> so who are the sons of God? Um, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. So the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, the longer answer is, there's a couple different theories. Uh, w- some scholars would say that sons of God means angels, that these are created heavenly beings, and we see that language, sons of God, used in other places. So um, Job uh, 1, 2, and 38, in Psalm 29, 82, and 89, Daniel 3, that's the way that angels are referred to as sons of God. If you believe that that is talking about angels, then what it seems to say is that angels somehow left heaven um, and had sexual intercourse with human women. Now, that is a, 
that so that did. would be fallen angels, which we could assume would be demons, maybe, we, right? We would think so. Right. And if you're inclined to take that interpretation, um, then you could go to the New Testament in places like, um, for example, 1 Peter 3, where Peter says, um, I'm sorry, not 1 Peter 3, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2, where Peter says, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, talking specifically about them being cast down. And more specifically in Jude, uh, Jude says uh, in verse Verse 6, angels who Mm -hmm. did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. And he goes on to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and sexual immorality, there's this theme running through some of the New Testament that of angels sinning because they left their proper place and therefore they were cast down. So it's possible, and some scholars and people who love Jesus, believe in the Bible to be with us in heaven, would say the sons of God are angelic beings who somehow had intercourse with human females. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation would say um, these sons of God are actually, um, that is a a way to refer to kings. And so what you have here is the kingdoms of the world are starting to be built. The rulers of these kingdoms um, now are intermarrying with the people of God, the descendants of Seth. They um, are, the sin therefore is something like polygamy. Mm-hmm. And God wants his people to be a pure people. And instead, we have this rampant sexual immorality and power being exercised. I would say that's probably the least uh, held to view on who these sons of God are. Another view, which in context maybe is closer um, in some people's minds to being spot on, is that the sons of God are actually the offspring of Seth. Hmm that we're just coming out of this genealogy that deals with his line, that leads us up to Noah. And what happens is these, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, have started to intermarry with Cainites, with offspring of Cain. And so Cain representing the line of men, Seth representing the line of God, and they are intermarrying with each other in ways that later on, uh, when you get to the Levitical law and places that Israel is going to be told clearly, do not marry pagans who mm-hmm. who worship yep. other gods. And maybe this is a is a prototype of that. So I think you can believe the Bible, love Jesus, uh, believe the gospel, and, and land anywhere you want to on those three. So, well, because God doesn't give us like the clear exact thing about what happened because it's not the main point of the passage. You know, it's interesting for me to chit chat about it with y'all because I think it's fascinating. (laughs) It's fascinating, yeah. Right? But the point is the world was so evil and so messed up that God was grieved, right? Which we see in the next passage. Now the Nephilim, right? The Nephilim, um, verse uh, four. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. That's a parenthetical insertion. Um, It isn't in parentheses in most of our English Bibles, but that's what it is. It is a time marker. This is Moses writing and saying, hey, this time I'm talking about, that's when the Nephilim roamed the earth. Hmm. 
The word Nephilim only comes up in one other place. It's in Numbers um, 13, 13. Numbers 13, I'm sorry, 13.33, it says, um, there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, Hmm. and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. The Nephilim evidently are a race of giants. Now, we're going to see another famous giant later on, Goliath, who scripture says stands over nine feet tall. Um. We hear the word giant, and we start to think about Jack and the beanstalk and these things. Um, But um, evidently, the Nephilim were so well known that there wasn't any reason really to talk about it, to describe it. Because everybody who would have read contemporaneously with Noah's writing knew who they were, right? Um, It would be like if we said, you know, what... I don't even know, like the Floridians. Everybody just understands what that is, right? It's people who live right. in Florida. And so they know who they are. Um, there are, if you pull the lens back and expand out, you actually have in a lot of cultures, in a lot of different continents around the world, ancient tales of a race of giant people. Um, this isn't uh, confined to two verses in the Hebrew scriptures. Hmm. There's some evidence of this uh, all around the world. I think you can make a very uh, somewhat decent argument that, at a time when people were living before the flood, when people are living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and the full extent of the fall and of sin had not corrupted their bodies, that perhaps they continued to grow for longer than we do. And yeah. so... Less processed food. Some big dudes. <laughs> That's right. They also they <laughs> yeah. ate fewer Cheetos than us. You yeah. know? Josh will be that. talking about that diet on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now... Here's the uh, the uh, conspiracy theory on that. If you want to get, if you want to go a little, wild, some people would say the Nephilim were the offspring of the angels mating with the humans, and so they had this, um, they had these offspring mm-hmm. that were the Nephilim. One way or the other, what we know is true uh, is bo- both before and after the flood, there are some really really big people out there that kind of aren't out there anymore. That is interesting, too, that they're after the flood. Yeah, because Goliath is post-flood, Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Takes a while. So a counter to that, that people would say it can't be angels, fallen angels, Mm -hmm. and it must either be the line of Seth or powerful rulers, is that Jesus says in Matthew 22 that angels in heaven don't marry. Mm -hmm. uh, But what he says is angels in heaven Mm-hmm. Not necessarily fallen angels. So mm-hmm. there could be. So the counter counter to that counter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. could be that, well, that's just saying because they're angels in heaven, but once they have left um, and taken themselves out from under the authority of God in one sense. In the rebellion, yeah. In the rebellion. So that now they um, will marry or have sexual relations um, with human beings. Other people say that... Um, these fallen angels um, possess people, kind of like demonic yeah. possession, mm-hmm. and so inhabit bodies. inhabit bodies, and so there could be something there as well. But anyway, a lot of speculation. But I think it's really well. Interesting. It's interesting too because um, Chip, I know I I always enjoy hearing you talk about angels because you know we think about them as like <laughs> cute beings that float around. You're like, no, They're even like the, the even yeah. God's angels are kind of they look terrifying yeah. when you first see them. Aren't all angels men? Yes. So well, uh, all the angels that we're told about that in the we Bible, know yes. about, all yeah. the angels that we know about in in Scripture are men. 
And I don't so, think any of them have wings. Uh, yeah, fair. So God is a God of order. We see that even Seraphim. in heaven. I know they so do. if yeah, they're falling, you know, if they've come to earth, they're going against God's order by yeah. procreating. Like that's something that, like you said, Josh, that was not a part of their um, their role as heavenly right. beings. Yeah. So angel, and there's a whole t- week. Like we could have a yes. super fun discussion about right angels. Here's what's notable about angels: they're created. They do not bear the image of God. Right. Only men and women right. bear the image of God. Uh, they are they are clearly cast out. Interestingly, the literal definition or translation of Nephilim is the fallen ones or hmm. those who are cast out, which lends some people to say, "Oh no, no, these are these are angels." But it could just mean those who have fallen into sin. Yep, doesn't necessarily mean fallen from heaven. So I think the bottom line is that we don't really know. It, it is likely, though, whatever is happening. Um, is against God's design, God's order. It is clearly sin. And as Megan said, the primary point of Genesis 6, 1 through 8 is that the sin of the world has gotten to a place where God will no longer abide it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really long way of saying, (laughs) I don't know. But it's one of those. It's fun to talk talk about. (laughs) It is. It is. is. Okay. Okay. Let's go a little lighter question. <laughs> All right. Because uh, this, one, this one came in, um, and either one of you can answer this if you like. Were there rainbows before the flood? <laughs> oh, gosh. Why don't you start us off with that one, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. If there was rain before the flood, I think there were rainbows before the flood. And some people would say that the flood was actually the first time it rained, that the water would came that. up from the ground. Yeah. Okay. So you but would you say can get, you can get rainbows from mist. Oh, that's true. From, your from the wa- ground. From your water hose. <laughs> well, okay. Right? So they were low riding. Yeah, they rainbows. might have been <laughs> <laughs> pretty low to low to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, they were so, low rider. Yeah. Low rider rainbows. Um, I mean, I think we see that in scripture, the first time we actually literally see a rainbow is after the flood, right? Correct. That's so right. my thought would be, well, it happened after the flood. But it does I guess seem I could also say we don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, speculation, right? Yeah. Yeah. You would just think that God is speaking to Noah and he's saying, when you see this bow in the sky, you'll be reminded of my covenant. That's right. Yeah. Right. It could and have so existed before. It probably was that Noah had never seen the rainbow in the sky, mm-hmm. but we can't say that for certain. Yeah. And so it could be that God is saying, now this rainbow in the sky right. will be a sign of my covenant. Yeah. And I, I do think the biblical narrative tells us that. The flood is the first time that it, the, the yes. water comes down. down. Before yeah. then, the earth was fed from water coming up from things like springs and rivers. And but I think the reference uh, is to a canopy, right? Right. A canopy. Yeah, and I'll tell. We won't go down this rabbit trail, but you may have heard me talk about some of this before. There is strong geologic evidence in the scientific community for something like a vapor barrier or in the Earth's atmosphere that at some point burst and kind of changed the um, the the atmosphere around the earth, but we won't, we won't get into that. But I'll just say, I think science backs up the biblical narrative. Okay. Agreed. As you, would, as you would expect it to. Okay. Um, who has a, who has another one? Do you guys have one? All right, Josh, I got one for you. Um, this actually came from one of our King's Cross members. And so we obviously want to spend some time talking about that. Um, Abraham in the old Testament was asked to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. Um, seems like a pretty 
wild instruction for God to give him, right? Um, so what would God ask us to sacrifice our children now by killing them? Okay, so the short answer is no. And so let's talk a little bit about why that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, so that's... <laughs> um, so what we have with the story of Abraham is that, and this is what has been so awesome about working through the story, is that we are seeing every single Sunday, and now I'm seeing when I open up the Bible because of what we're preaching on Sunday, is that Jesus is all through the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so we see Jesus in Genesis chapter 22. And so it is true that Genesis chapter 22 and this direct order from God to Abraham to kill his son um, this is before the Ten Commandments, which That's one of the Ten point. Commandments is thou shalt not murder. Yeah. But it is after uh, God telling Noah that you shall not murder. You shall not take the life of a man. And so there is clearly, at least in the Bible as we have it now, an order, a direct order that God says do not murder. Um, however, in this particular situation, and we see this um, but just to reiterate, as you as you already said, when the first murder happens, God says, "We can't do that." Even that's though, right. Even though the law, yeah. had that's right. Yeah. So the right. principle was already there. But I even think there's a command with Noah that you're not supposed to. Yeah. Murder. So, but in this particular situation, um, and even in the text in Genesis chapter 22, that we see that um, Abraham is real clear that this is going to be a round trip that they're coming back that he's going to take his son Isaac up on top, top of the mountain and he's going to attempt to kill him. Fortunately, as we know the whole story, that God circumvents that from happening. Mm -hmm. um, but he says even clearly going up there, he tells his servant that he, they're both going to come back. He says, we're going to come back. And so there's this rock-solid faith that Abraham has, Abraham has. Now, I believe what is happening because God says after... Um, the ram is sacrificed. He tells, um, or maybe it's right at it at the time. He tells Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your own son. And so I believe that this story is not only foreshadowing to there will be one day where uh, God will give up his only son mm. so that we can, not that, he will know that we love him, as you told me, Chip, recently, but so that we can know that God loves us. That's right. And so that's going to happen that's good. Uh, with Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So this is primarily a foreshadowing to that. But I think there's also something about Abraham's relationship with God and how, you know, God is all knowing. So he does know um, Abraham's faith and his love for him. But it is very evident, not only to Abraham, but also to the Lord as he sees it happen and to every um, other angelic being looking down that Abraham's faith is rock solid. And so what Abraham has to do in hearing this command from God and then walking up the mountain with Isaac is he has to wrestle. He has to wrestle with whether or not God is more important to him than even uh, his only son, and more important to him than the promises of God mm. that he's given him that one day that the whole world will be blessed through his offspring. Mm -hmm. And so Abraham as an old man, had been waiting for this time when he would have a son. He has a son, 
And now God is saying something that seems a little confusing, very confusing. So God has to rest. I mean, Abraham has to wrestle with the character of God. He has to wrestle with the promises of God. He has to wrestle with his faith. He has to wrestle with the power of God. And so he says that I'm willing to give up that which is most important to me outside of God to show that God is really most important to me. I, I want you to keep going because that's so good, but I just thought of something to add into there as part of his wrestling is worship, which is really crazy. You know, that as he's wrestling with God, he said it says in verse 5, the boy and I will go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you. So even in Abraham's oh, process really to get to have to sacrifice and wrestle with what God's to- telling him, he's worshiping. Yes, and so, and that, that, you know, worship's not just singing on Sunday yeah, morning. Worship is walking testing your faith. with God and testing your faith. And so the question that was asked to us by one of our members was that, you know, mm-hmm. is it possible that God, God may... God tell me to do that again? Yeah. So, no, God won't tell you to do that again because that was a one-time instance that was foreshadowing the death of Christ, uh, the, the coming of Jesus Christ and God giving up his only son. Uh, but what God is constantly asking us to do is to sacrifice on the altar what otherwise wouldn't be more important to us than God. And so that is coming to Jesus, and that is walking with Jesus. And so when you come to Jesus, it's only by faith. It's not by anything that you do, but it's a faith of surrender. It's a faith of saying, I'm going to come to you not with a closed grip, on God, I'll give you everything but my family. I'll give you everything but my career. I'll give you everything but my future. You can't do that. You've got to sacrifice mm. every other thing in your life on the altar to the Lord. That's how you come to Christ. And that's also how you walk with Christ. I heard a pastor, I think it was Chuck Swindoll, say one time that in Romans 12, where it says that we're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, he says one of the hardest things about putting a a living sacrifice on the altar is a living sacrifice is constantly trying to get itself off the altar. And so that's what we're called to do, not only in how to come to Christ, but also in our walk with Jesus as well. That's good. God is always calling us to the top of the mountain, and he's always calling us to wrestle with things uh, to give up to him. He and wants first so, place. He wants first place, and that is worship. Yeah, and um, if you want to to hear more about that, we won't, uh, or I won't re-preach the sermon here, but um, the sermon on that passage was from February 12th, and the so title good. of the sermon was so The Lord good. Will Provide. Um, the, it, it is such a clear picture of Christ. Even the literal physical mountain that they are on is the mountain on which the Lord Jesus is going to be sacrificed. There is a substitute provided for Isaac. Jesus is sacrificed as our substitute. Uh, One of our elders is the one who reminded me, you know, God says to Abraham, now I know you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. When Jesus is on the cross, we can now say to God, now I know you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son uh, from me. And you're right. The principle of being open-handed is reiterated again and again and again and again. Where they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? The young man comes to him and says, I'd love to follow you, but my dad's in the process of dying. Mm-hmm. Can I wait until he dies? 
dies, mm-hmm. and then I can be a part of this. And Jesus says, no, you come now. And then a rich man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he right. says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Is that what we're all supposed to do? For him, For him. that was his call right. to come to Christ, and he ended up walking away sad. That's right. You know, Mary br- breaks the, the vial of perfume over Jesus. The disciples yep. are upset with her. Well, it's also a huge turning point for Abraham because in the past he had done things like let Sarah convince him to take things into his own hands Mm -hmm. and have Ishmael. And so, like, he really wasn't trusting God's promise then. That's right. Right? But here he's trusting God's promise and saying, you've given me this son after all these years that I've I've waited, and I know even if if I have to kill my son in this moment, that God's promises are true and he'll, he'll bring him back to life. So... Yeah. And it's, I think it's important to remember, last thing, we'll move on. I, I think it's important to remember that this is the culmination of Abraham's faith walk. Yep. This was not the beginning. Yep. So he knew God's voice by now. He had walked with him for a long time. He'd had some ups and some downs. He'd taken two steps forward and three steps back. And this is, uh, you know, so um, if you feel like God is telling you to sacrifice your child, he is not. Right. If you feel like God is not making you to is not calling you to make any sacrifices in following Him, and that the primary thing He's after is your comfort, you are wrong. <laughs> That's a word. One of the, one of the Do you th- hear me snapping? <laughs> well, one of the things you said to me, I think it was yesterday when we were talking. And look, I'm I was involved in college ministry for like 15 years, and one of the biggest things that we were trying to do constantly was recruit college students to go on summer projects, particularly go overseas on mission trips, and so. And I did all of this before I had kids, and so I couldn't understand why parents were always uneasy with even their own child going on a mission trip, yeah. like following the yeah, Lord. Yeah. But now I've got three girls, yeah. and um, one of the things that I'm going to hopefully have to wrestle with is when my girl says, my daughter says, hey, Dad, maybe not just that I'm going to go on this short-term mission trip, sure. but God might be calling me long-term yeah. Yeah. to live in India or to live in yeah. Africa, yep. and I'm going to have to wrestle with like yeah. I feel like that's me sacrificing, yeah. you know, my relationship say, with my kid to the Lord. You know, God's called us into into missions, but they've told us it's too dangerous. I can't tell you where. Oof. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said that one of the things Abraham had to do was wrestle with God. So, Megan, yes. Question for you: In, um, in Genesis thirty-two, uh, we get the story, and we had a, a sermon on this. In the series about Jacob wrestling with the Lord, um, and so not to point people back, but you can find these sermons if you want to go back and listen to them on the website. Um, but the, the question uh, that was asked is: um, Did Jacob's faith mm-hmm. start then, mm-hmm. or did Jacob's relationship with God and his faith in God actually start? Earlier, because there's a lot of Jacob's life that comes before Genesis yep. 32. That's a good question. Um, I I think it's so interesting because when we think about characters from the Old Testament, we think of like two or three different stories that we really remember, which are oftentimes good stories, but their faith is a journey oftentimes just like our own faith is a journey. And um, one of the things I think is really interesting is Jacob... Uh, trying to figure his faith out before we get to chapter 32. So if you go back to 28, which was in our reading plan for the story, which not so shameless plug, if you haven't been doing that, you should, because it's amazing. And I've loved doing it. I've learned so much. My community group is talking about it together. It's been awesome. Um, In chapter 28, 
is when Jacob has left. Um, this is after he steals the birthright, and he has this dream about the ladder, uh, which I won't go into too much detail about that, but it's it's literally a dream that God gives him. And when Jacob wakes up, he's like, wow, that's awesome. God's in this place, and I didn't even know it, which, again, sounds good. But then the further that we go down the passage in chapter 28, 18, verse 18, he sets up a marker, he pours oil over it, names it Bethel, um, but there's reason for us to believe, again, not 100% sure, but reason for us to believe that this could have been a pagan pillar. So the pillar mm. sounds nice. Like, it sounds cute that Jacob's setting up this place, but it's actually, there's a good chance it could have been a pagan structure that he picked up from the Canaanites. Mm. Um, and if you keep reading the verses here, <laughs> it says in verse 20, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. So he literally gives God wow. three different ultimatums and says, if God does these three things for me, then he'll be my God. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Right, yeah, I never do that. <laughs> you know. Past that. Um, but anyway, I just think that's really interesting because we look at, again, we look at Jacob as one of the patriarchs of our faith, um, but even he had these moments where he was like, you know, I don't really know if God's going to do this yet, so I'm going to give him ultimatums. Mm. And um, for for a long time, so after that, he meets Rachel. He's deceived by his father-in-law, Laban. Um, he goes back and forth, has sons, le- finally leaves Laban, has all of these hairy battles with his father-in-law. And it seems like the turning point Was that in an Jacob- Esau pun? No. I know it was unintentional, but that was really good. I thank you. I thought you were to slip one in under the radar there. I was funny. Didn't even know it. <laughs> um, anyway, so Esau then he gets to meeting guy. Esau, <laughs> and that's when he starts to get afraid. And he remembers Esau said he was going to kill him if he ever sees him again, right? right. Like, yeah. we could go back to that. And that's when he has this turning point. So in some of the scripture leading up to it, Jacob said language like, the the father of my God or the or the God of my fathers. Yeah, right. but it's really not until thirty two that he addresses Yahweh personally, and then he has this moment where he wrestles with God, and afterwards he says, which is the the original passage you're talking about, Chip. Um, I have seen God face to face. That's yeah. when God renames Jacob Israel, and when he wrestled with him. Um, and so it seems like, again, not hundred percent sure, but it seems like that's when Jacob really, his faith becomes his own because he's done making ultimatums. He comes to the end of his himself. He's terrified to see Esau again and he wrestles with God and afterwards, um, seems to have an intimacy with God and addresses God personally in a way that he, he didn't really seem to have done before. Mm-hmm. Which is Almost as if, um, he knew about God, hundred percent from his from his parents. Yep. And then faith becomes his own. Yep. Which well, one of my favorite? I'm sorry, real quick. One of my favorite uh, things that one of our leaders, AJ, always says is God doesn't have grandkids. Mm. You know, Ooh, and it's so good. And yeah, again, he'd heard a lot about God because of Abraham and Isaac, but did he personally and intimately know God yet? It seems like it's really around this point where he comes to the end of himself that he's like, okay, I've seen God show up for my fathers. I believe in who he is, mm-hmm. but I don't have this intimacy with him or um, this. Because he hadn't wrestled with God. Yep. Yeah. 
And so what I think is important to note, that's really, really good. Great observations. Um, in Genesis 28, with this dream that he has, it doesn't mean that God really wasn't speaking to him. I right. Mean, this was a dream. That, I mean, Jesus, right. Jesus confirms this in John chapter 1 and basically says he's the latter. That, yeah. Because his angels and yes. will be descending and ascending on the Son dream. of Man. Such a great he's picture. He's referring back to this, saying that he's <laughs> the way to heaven. Yep. So, Daniel uh, also gets a vision. One of the things that come to my mind is that we're all on a spiritual journey mm -hmm. and that God is um, working in people's lives as he's calling us to himself. And so I think um, this is how it's been told to me. And I think about this a lot when I think about where am I or where are people on their spiritual journey? I believe that everybody kind of starts off as uninterested then they become interested. So point step yep. one is they're uninterested. They don't care anything about the things of God. Then they become interested in who God is, mm -hmm. and then they're exposed to the gospel. And step three is they're ready mm -hmm. to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Step four is they've come to a personal decision where they've received Christ as Lord and Savior. Step five is now they're growing in their faith. And step six is now they're helping other people grow. That's good. And so I think we're all, I mean, yeah. everybody over the face, anybody over the face of the earth is somewhere on that spiritual journey. And I think when we look at Jacob, it's like he's probably somewhere on that spiritual on that journey spectrum, leading yeah. up to number four. And number four, which is I've received a personal relationship with God where he has changed my name and I'm a new creation, very likely could have happened in chapter 32. That and uh, I'll, I'll wind down here because I could nerd out about this stuff all day. But if we go back to the ultimatums that Jacob gave God, God actually <laughs> answered his ultimatums, which is silly right, to give God ultimatums, but sometimes God, even in his kindness, he doesn't always answer answer them in the way that we might ask him to, but he did provide him food to eat, and he did watch over him on his journey, and he did even make it safely back to his father's uh, place, like Esau did not kill him, right, so even God in his kindness uh, meets Jacob in those ultimatums, even though that's a sinful posture to have God, God's character is still to, to come and meet him in those. Right. And so well, I think the moral of that is, is that pray about anything, but when you pray, try not to use the word if. Right. <laughs> right. Try not to make bargains with God. Right. Assess your heart when you're praying. Why do you think, I mean, wouldn't it have just been easier if God had used people who weren't sinful? Yeah. yeah, yeah Why yeah. does he keep picking these people that are, because, that have all these problems? Because then yeah. he could use anybody. <laughs> ah, then he yeah. couldn't use it. But anyway. it is interesting. Like one of the most, yep. when you're talking about Jacob and his struggles, and it makes me think about Isaac, and it makes me think about Abraham, and you're saying this is, you know, Genesis 22 has happened at the end of Abraham's life. Yeah. Man, he screws up a lot. A lot. Isaac screws up. Jacob screws up. Yeah. And so it makes me encouraged that even me yeah. as a screw up, God can actually use. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. That may be um, that may be a good place to leave it. That's really good. With me I, as a screw up, I had a, yeah, that's yeah. A wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I had um, there was a woman. Uh, I'll just paraphrase uh, who came up to me after church on Sunday in the lobby, uh, and and basically paraphrasing, she said, um, "I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way." Mm. And my encouragement to her is one of the things that we try to talk about a lot at King's Cross is not where we are, but the trajectory we're on. Yep. And so um, as we sit here recording, we don't even know if anybody's going to listen to this. We <laughs> hope that you <laughs> we're are. We're just kind of talking to each other, but <laughs> maybe somebody's going <laughs> to listen to it. 
Um, like and, and subscribe. And if you are, can we just encourage you that our goal um, is not that any of us would ever arrive, but we want to help you take your next step. We want to see you take your next step in growing in the gospel. We want to see you take a next step to be connected in community. We want to encourage you to take your next step to live on mission because we feel like these are the things that God has called all of his people to do. Um, and we hope that the series is encouraging to you, that you are beginning to understand more of the big picture of what it is um, that God has been and is continuing to do throughout human history to redeem mm-hmm. and restore, uh, as Josh so eloquently said, a bunch of screw-ups like us. Yep. So, <laughs> awesome. Praise Guys, for that. Anything else? That's it. No. Thank you for being like with us on this Q&A podcast uh, for the story. If you are interested in more, you can join us uh, on Sunday mornings. We have two services now at either 9 o'clock or 1030. You can find out more information about our church on kingscross.org, and you can find all of the resources and sermons that go along with the story there. Thanks. We'll see you next time.